0: everyone welcome back to the internet of things podcast i am your host stacy higginbotham and this is my co-host kevin Tofel, and we have a great show for you today especially if you're, you care about lighting
1: <laughs> don't hang up don't like stacy does
0: <laughs> everyone cares about lighting without it everything is dark all right so we're gonna get started with some smart home stuff for you because because that's a big part of what we cover mm-hmm. so there are three things happening. One is Philips has updated its app. We warned you in advance that this is going to happen. You don't have to use the new Philips Hue apps. But if you want to, what this one does is basically turns the Philips Hue app into, I don't know, an app that was good like two years ago. It gives you all the functionality that you kind of expected the original Philips Hue app to have. So it's things like being able to divide your lights up into rooms and control Mm -hmm. them. Yay. Yay! So it's very nice. It's very it's very fast on my Android phone, so I, I'm enjoying that. I, I've got a
1: test version of it, so
0: mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the actual version will be as fast, but I'm assuming it would be.
1: We spoke last week about the security updates in the Philips app, which kind of was a precursor to the new app. And even prior to that, we had talked about some permissions challenges on the Android side for the Philips Q app. Those are already fixed as well, so those are non non-issues for this new app.
0: Right. And the security issues was basically letting third-party apps get a token to authenticate. Right. So many of the third-party apps that Hugh has worked with, most of our favorites, have already done this process. So nothing should be different for people.
1: Should be back-end changes. Nothing to see here.
0: There are a few apps that did not work with Philips on this that will not have that security token,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's like four of them and two of them I had never even heard of. So you can find all that on Philips website. But with the new app and the new features, so you can, like I said, there's, there's rooms. So yay. Um, there's also routines. You could set alarms and timers in the original Philips app, but you couldn't actually set like full on schedules. So now you've got, they've made that process a little bit easier. And there's a, a widget feature that gives you access from the home screen that you can program up to 10 scenes to do something like super fast, like boom, all the lights in this room are on or off. Um, I actually kind of created a bunch of those things using the Hue Tap, the physical Hue Tap device, because it has up to five settings, I believe, four or five settings. Mm-hmm. So you just press a button and like those things happen. So now you can do it from your phone.
1: And that is good to hear on both counts. Um, scheduling, I think, is very important for the lights. And I love, love, love widgets for smart home controls. I have the the Wink one with all my shortcuts right on my home screen. So one tap and you're good to go.
0: Nice. It also does home and away. Um, it had done geolocation. And then it also, Philips has a tie in with Nest, a works with Nest integration that had I had used to do home and away. So I didn't really feel a lack in the previous app but you know it's nice for people who don't have all that that the phillips hue app is finally becoming really what it should have been in the beginning Mm -hmm. that's the update there um the other update is for those of you guys who really love colored lights um there is now a an outdoor safe colored light from illumi And these are the guys that are doing Bluetooth lights. They have an indoor BR-30 and an indoor A-19, which is the normal light bulb. And now they've launched an outdoor flood. Yay! Mm. So I'm excited about this because I have a rooftop deck with lights. And I would love to be able to do some cool color-changing kind of things up there when we have parties. The light bulb is $70 and it will begin shipping in summer 2016. So it's not a cheap light bulb.
1: No, but, and to be honest, when you first told me about it right before the show, I was like, "Ooh, that's a lot of money. It doesn't use a hub, which means it uses an app, um it uses Bluetooth on your phone through the app. And I wasn't too keen on it, but you raised a good point that I think is worth reiterating. If you're having your party on your rooftop deck, I mean, you're not going to give out like uh, access to your your hub so people can control the lights outside, you know right off the bat. So if you want to give them Bluetooth access to these lights, you can do so pretty easily. And the fact that it's outdoor, it's i p uh, sixty four rated. 46 rated, I believe. Let me double check. There we go. 64. So it's, you know, dust proof and can handle water and all that. You know, there aren't, like you said, too many outdoor lights that you can control like this.
0: Wemo actually had a string of outdoor lights, but that was the only other ones I found. And those were actually garden lights that were for a garden path. This is actually. This is
1: disco lights. This is like
0: a floodlight, man. (laughs) Um, So I'm super stoked. The other thing is, I tried the Illumis out actually, about a year ago, I think somewhere on my Twitter page, you can see a picture of my dog dancing with some colored lights. Um, And that was actually the Illumis. And there's a setting on the app that lets you, you know, have them changed with the beat of the music that you're listening to, which, you
1: know, is kind of fun. I'm not sure which I'm more impressed by, though, that the lights can actually change their color and all to the beat of that or that your dog actually dances.
0: Oh, my dog is very smart. We should oh, okay then <laughs> she is a dancing crazy dog. You can see it all <laughs> on Twitter. I think these are neat. I am probably because I'm a sucker for lighting I'm a sucker for smart homes technology. I'm probably going to buy one or two of these just to test them out when they're out on the market, and I will let you guys know um, and maybe shoot another video of my dog dancing or maybe even me. who knows both of these The dog is much cuter, so <laughs> that's that. Um, check those out if you're in the market, and the final thing is I had talked about these lights about a month ago. These are the stack lights from a company called Stack Labs and they actually announced this week that they've got an A19 bulb, which is again that normal bulb. The cool thing about the Stack lights is they're designed with the idea that you will never have to touch your light switch. They're what they call responsive.
1: Or say anything. Or do anything.
0: Yeah, you just you well, you do have to do something. You well, have you to do. walk into the room. You
1: walk into the room. That's <laughs> correct because they they have a presence indicator
0: They do. They have a motion sensor in there. Both types of lights. They have a BR-30 that I've been testing out for over a month. And then they have the A19. Both have a motion detection and both have an ambient light sensor. So the idea is if you walk into a well-lit room, the lights just won't turn on as bright, thus saving you energy. In practice, I didn't see a lot of that. It had to be really super bright for the lights not to turn on at all. Mm. But it is always awesome to walk into a room and have the lights just bloop. Turn
1: on. Obviously there have been light switches with motion sensors in the decades, but this is actually moving that sensor to the bulb. And the interesting thing here is, and I think was this, I don't know if this was just announced today or recently.
0: It was just today. Ah, the, well, so they're Tuesday. using,
1: <laughs> they're using basically an ultrasonic, I guess I'll call it a sensor to act almost like radar. So what that means is these lights can actually sense your presence even if there's a lampshade in the way.
0: Right, because most motion sensors are PIRs, uh, passive infrared. So yep. they're just like, uh-oh, there's a warm body moving underneath me. These, they send out sound waves. They basically, like a bat, figure out what's in front of them or what's around them based on the sonic picture they're getting back. Mm-hmm. Also like radar, like you said, Kevin. So I have not tried the A19s with the new type of sensor, but I'm very excited about this. This is research that actually a bunch, like the University of Washington has been doing a lot of things with this in Wi-Fi for understanding gesture-based commands. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that we could see, you know, in a couple of years, better gesture recognition for, like, in-home control based on this technology. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited it's getting applied so early.
1: And one other bit, I mean, this is kind of a new technology in bulbs, but what surprises me is that it's not adding a ton to the cost of the bulb, at least the, the standard A19. I believe it's $28 a bulb.
0: The standard A19 is $28 a bulb. Now, these bulbs do have a hub, so you've got to buy a starter pack at first. Okay. And the initial starter pack for the A19s is $89.99, and that gets you two bulbs in a hub. If you want to do the BR-30s, those that's a $10 more for the starter pack, and it's $60 a bulb. So, mm-hmm. huge differential in the bulb there.
1: Big difference.
0: I should also note that the $28 is the pre-order price. So, mm. But... I would say, based on my experience using these lights in, I, I actually want to get a couple of the A19s mm-hmm. because I want to install them in my closet. Yeah, they're, these are great for rooms where they're closed off. So I have an open floor plan in my house. So these these didn't work super well in those rooms. But any mm-hmm. room that's closed off, like your office, the laundry room, the study. Oh, that's also the office, um, <laughs> your closet uh, bathrooms worked really well, I thought for this. So in hallways, the other thing was hallways because they have like a daytime mode and a nighttime mode. So you can mm-hmm. like walk around and it, it's yep. just awesome.
1: It- they probably need walls to bounce off of. And if you have like a very open concept type floor plan, it may not be the best area is what it sounds like. Oh, but. no,
0: it's it's actually that just that you trigger them all the time in an open floor plan. Ah. So they are so working So they're really,
1: about, really good then. It's yeah, they, really, they really can
0: sense you. Um, it's just that like I pace around a lot. My daughter paces. So, you know, you're walking in front of the and lights and it's like, boop.
1: So then, I'd be curious, and I'm sure you can't answer the question since you didn't get a chance to try the, the A19s. I'd be curious if you can modify the sensitivity of the ultrasonics. So, so that's that the
0: plan. Ah, so the CEO, see? I'm thinking yeah, ahead. You are. You're you're right ahead. And they're going to actually, later on, like newer versions of the BR-30s should have the ultrasonic sensors in them. This, mm-hmm. this was just like, hey, we have this idea we want to implement. It's great. So there you go. Those are the stack lights. I am probably going to buy some. I'm not sure how many yet, but... Once I figure out like my whole home lighting plan, I'll share it with everyone. Oh, and they integrate with the Echo through. That's this That's where and that. I was going. Thank
1: you. You proactively answered my question. I was. I don't want another hub, but if I have to have it, what else can I work these with? Is what I, what I was going to say.
0: Right. You got to do the Illumis, because without Bluetooth, there's no hub.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: All right. Okay. So, moving on from lights, but this week is Light Fair, so.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that.
0: How could you forget about Light Bear?
1: I tell you, how could I?
0: (laughs) Oh, final thing on the stack lights, because I didn't mention it. They Mm -hmm. also, their auto function has a circadian rhythm. So whatever time of day you trigger them, they're going to be in their circadian rhythm for that time of day, which is kind of neat if you're into that sort of thing. It might be overkill for your closet.
1: For the closet, maybe. Yeah.
0: But, you know, for bedrooms and offices, it's kind of fun. Okay, Mm -hmm. So what else do we have? We have, big deal.
1: We're, wearables.
0: Wearables. Nokia bought Wythings.
1: Uh, it makes sense in hindsight. Most of these things do, but I was surprised when I heard the news. I mean, Nokia's done a lot of different things to try and get into the, the health market in the past, either through apps or or whatnot. But um, here, it's just a flat-out acquisition of Wythings, and uh, i Oh, I forget how much they paid it was something like almost 200 million dollars I thought.
0: It's 170 euros or about 191 US dollars.
1: Yeah, well good for why things cuz they've always seemed like an underdog in this space and for people who are not familiar with the name in today's health wearables section or sector you, you tend to have a lot of digital smartphoney like type devices with, with with digital screens and so on why things takes a very analog approach to to all the, the health tracking and they make devices that look like traditional watches or, or things that you'd want to wear bracelets and such and they just have like an indicator like a sweeping hand for steps for example or, or you know maybe calories burned i mean they have apps as well it's, i don't want to say they're completely analog because they're not but it's just um i've always felt they're an underdog here
0: so i think why things feels like an underdog for a couple of reasons one is they're a french company Well, there
1: you go. It's kind of, if that makes you an underdog by default, I guess.
0: Well, no, they just, they, 50% in, in 2015, I believe it was that they said that about 50% of their sales come from the US. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the rest come from Europe and like 10% comes from Asia. So right there, you know, they're probably a bit more global in their scope. But the other thing is they have a lot more than just the Activité Pop. They have the Pulse, which is a, Activity tracker that also has a heart rate sensor. And it was actually one of the first to have those have a heart rate sensor on like that type of activity tracker. But Mm -hmm. it also they they have a bunch of devices, like a baby monitor, a, a smart scale for weighing your baby, they have a scale for weighing normal people, adults, they have a blood pressure monitor mm-hmm. yep. and a couple other things. So they they've actually worked really hard like at getting FDA approval for their more medical devices. Mm-hmm. And they actually at CES were showing off a, a new thermometer, a new connected thermometer too.
1: So yes, they do have you're right. They have a, a broad range of products and, and that makes it even a better fit for Nokia in my opinion.
0: Yes. And that's what I was gonna say. I was yeah. I was getting there. I was like so more <laughs> than just activity trackers, which I don't think they corner the market in at all. They're really thinking holistically about quantified self data and they're trying to get it to where it's actually of use for the medical profession where some of like Fitbit and Jawbone they're kind of like eh we don't really care well they, they
1: they those companies tend not to want to deal with the uh, FDA here in the states
0: yeah and and they also i think they're they're not as focused on bridging that gap and right. and i think for the big bucks in wearables, because the big money in healthcare is from the insurance firms mm-hmm. uh, reimbursing you for these things, we're going to have to get to a point where things are FDA approved, right. where you have documented science and why things has been working for that.
1: Yeah, but probably better or more aggressively than most of the others in the in this space. I, I would agree. I mean, it's all about the data that's, and what you can do with it, how accurate is it and, and who's going to use it, you know, in the healthcare industry.
0: So I I was kind of I thought the purchase price was a little small. Mm. Just to put that in context, Fitbit for 2015 reported 1.86 billion in revenue. Now, not all of that was from device sales, I don't believe, but
1: they sell services as well. Yeah, so True.
0: If you think about that from that perspective, you know, 190 almost 200 million is is nothing if you're thinking about their actual revenue.
1: Agreed. Um, yeah.
0: Let's see, Fitbit in 20, 2015, they sold 21.4 million connected health and fitness devices. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of devices.
1: They are the leader.
0: <laughs> yes. So that's kind of where we are here. Do you care to think about like Nokia back in devices?
1: Oh, I mean, it's in their DNA has been, you know, for a, a while. I mean, I mean, the company's what, 160, 170 years old and, and started out with the uh, you know rubber tot- yeah, exactly. Um, and has turned into you know a con- conglomerate of many different uh, businesses. But you know they don't have a a true device group these days, considering the whole Microsoft purchasing, you know all the phone business and so on. Um so they have smart people there. They have investment funds with money. And, and, and they're, they're good folks. Um, they'll know what to do, I think, uh, with why things to, to continue growing it. So I think it's, it's nice to see Nokia in a return to a segment that gives them some play on the device side, but also on, on the, on the data side as well.
0: Got it. And they said that Cedric Hutchings, who is currently the CEO of Wythings, will lead their digital health business that will be created. And there's mm-hmm. approximately a hundred R and D people that Nokia has working on digital health projects, and they'll be part of that group as well.
1: And I'm not going to say where he's probably going to be based because I say it wrong. In Finland, the city.
0: Oh, someone actually put. A I, I know one, and of, one of our
1: you. one of our listeners corrected me, and now I forget the, the
0: I, correct. It's not Espoo because that's no. what you liked. It's oh man,
1: Espoo. It might be ESPO. I I forget, but whoever it was, thank you for correcting me.
0: Yes, we appreciate it. Even though we have not put that knowledge to use yet, we do. It's more
1: fun to say ESPO. I'm not going to lie, but whatever.
0: You know, accuracy sometimes.
1: We like to get it right.
0: So the other story I thought worth mentioning this week was Tile, which I actually just bought one. Um, Tile is a Bluetooth tracker that you stick on things. And
1: that sounded like an ad, didn't it? (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm laughing. I'm laughing because did you buy one because you lost one?
0: No, <laughs> so I spent twenty five dollars on my um my tile because I keep losing my twelve dollar water bottles.
1: That's what it was. Yes. So,
0: <laughs> but after you've lost two twelve dollar water bottles, you might as well buy a tile.
1: Yeah. What's the tile run these days? What's the tile cost these days?
0: The tile is twenty five dollars if you buy just one, and seventeen fifty per tile if you buy a four pack.
1: Right. It's a Bluetooth tag for folks who are not familiar.
0: Yes, and you connect it to your phone, the cool thing about Tile, and why we're why I'm so excited about it, is that it has the potential to kind of become a poor man's GPS, I think. Mm. And I say this because what happens is when you lose your device, or when actually when you buy a Tile, you install the app on your phone. And from then on, your phone becomes able to detect other Tile's. So if someone says, hey, I lost my bike and there's a tile on it, and so they mark that tile as lost, mm-hmm. if you're walking by that stolen bike or that missing bike with your phone in the tile apps on it, that your phone will actually seamlessly to you, you don't see it happen, will send a notification out to the service mm-hmm. and the service will say, hey, this is where your bike is.
1: It's like a crowdsourced device GPS thing. It's, exactly. it's a, rather interesting.
0: I, I think it's great. So they, the actual news is not that I bought one. The actual <laughs> news is that they actually reported their revenue for the first time this week. And they, mm-hmm. in 2015, sold $43 million worth of tiles,
1: That's which a lot is of tiles.
0: a lot of tiles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When I looked on my app, I had 15, uh, almost 15,000 tiles near me, which meant that there were, <sighs> I know. Oh, sorry. No, 1,500 it's still a lot. It's still a lot because that's 1500.
1: You could say 15 and I'd say a lot, but 1500 is well, a heck of a lot.
0: Yeah. So that's people all over Austin that if, if, you know, I leave my water bottle somewhere, maybe they'll walk by it and it'll notify the app. So I haven't left this water bottle anywhere yet just to test this out, but we'll see. I probably will soon. And as part of actually making money, they're kind of going not in a different direction, but they're adding on to their business. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a deal with Land Rover to integrate tile into. The car, so this is interesting because now your car is basically like a walking tile. Whoa! Or so driving, the, a rolling the, tile.
1: I was going <laughs> to say, so is this to help you find your car, or is it for the car to remind you that your device with a tile isn't with you?
0: Both. Woo! See,
1: double bonus.
0: Double. So I I thought this was neat, and the goal in talking with Mike Farley, who is an executive at Tile, he told me that. This next year, Tile's going to focus on these integrations, so you should see more, more tiles integrated in other devices. They mm-hmm. had one, actually, with an umbrella in it, which, you know, you'll never lose your umbrella again was kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that went very far mm. because it was a very expensive umbrella. <laughs> yeah, You wouldn't want to lose it.
1: Yeah, when you're talking about adding Tile to the cost of an umbrella versus adding Tile to the price of a car, it, the car just sucks that price right into it, so it's not a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. So
0: I was excited by this. I was excited by the fact that a connected device company is making that much money, which is great, which means mm-hmm. they're selling a lot. So good on tile. Which brings us to dun-dun-dun. It's almost Mother's Day. If you oh, have yeah. a mother in your life, let's talk about what you should get them from the connected gadget world.
1: Because
0: mm. by golly, I've gotten ads from Nest. I've gotten yeah. ads from Jawbone, Pebble. Pebble, yep. I don't know who uh, else. Many ads.
1: I think the pebble's not a bad buy because it's not that expensive and adds a lot of value, you know?
0: So you're talking about the pretty pebble, the pebble time.
1: Well, I mean,
0: it's uh, kind of expensive.
1: uh, I mean, the regular pebble, I I would say. just, you know, it gives you the basics. It's not that expensive.
0: Okay, so the regular pebble, most women think is ugly. All right, then. I'm I'm sorry. It's okay. No, I get it. I get it. I have one, and I love it. So, you know, it's out there. It's a, what, is it like $75? Can you get it for less than that? I bet you could get it for less than Probably. that.
1: Probably. That's about right, though.
0: So so that's the basic bubble. Kevin thinks maybe you should get her that. Um, I was going to suggest a tile, because it's mm. great to put on your keys, and it's like 25 bucks. Yeah. And also, if you're younger and you lose stuff often, you could actually, like, make your mom not have to look for it as often, which would be great.
1: Mm. Um,
0: it's like the gift that you give yourself that gives to her. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've thought about, you know, putting one in my purse or something like that. Oh, the other thing is from the app, you can make the tile beep and then it'll tell you where your stuff is.
1: That's so always nice.
0: It's nice if you mm-hmm. are not the type of person who always loses their phone. My mom kind of is, though, so that's less helpful. <laughs> 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 All right. So other things for your mom. Do you think you'd buy your mom a nest? Um... Or Barb, your, your wife, who is also a mom?
1: I mean, they don't really like we have a Nest. If we didn't, I would buy one. they wouldn't be like very enthused by it at all. Honestly,
0: that was my thought. When when Nest sent me that ad campaign, I was like, you know, I love connected devices. But if my family bought me a thermostat for Mother's Day, I'd be kind of like, off with your heads.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think that would go over too well.
0: But there are devices that I think could go over well. So if your mom likes to cook, I'm going to recommend maybe one of the automated sous vide, so the Anova sous-vide is out there, mm-hmm. and that's pretty cool because they have both a Wi-Fi and a Bluetooth version.
1: How about the drop scale?
0: Um, there is the drop scale. That is actually $100, mm-hmm. um, and it makes both cocktails and baked goods, well, any kind of cooked goods. Right. Um, so the Anova cooker is about 180 bucks, so that's kind of expensive, but you know, your mom, she's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. What else?
1: The Echo. I was going to say it, but, you know, I don't want to overdo it because I know we we, we are very big fans of the Echo. It's an easy
0: to use consumer device that because remember, if you buy your parents a connected device, you're going to support them. Yeah, you're probably going (laughs) to support them.
1: You know, would you would you actually go with an Echo or would you go with something like the Dot for roughly half the price?
0: I would go with the Echo because okay. my mom does not have like a Sonos or something like that. So I think okay. the speaker capabilities would be really good for her. Gotcha. That's that's my rationale there. Makes sense. Because the dot's a little tinny.
1: They both do the same thing.
0: But, you know, if you buy your mom the Echo, you're also going to have to buy some connected light bulbs. <laughs>
1: If you're Stacy, that is.
0: So it brings us full circle back to the connected light bulbs. I was I was thinking through, you know, because my mom constantly she listens to the show because she's super nice like that, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Gosh, should I get anything?" So the only other thing I would suggest for maybe a mom would be a vid- a video doorbell. And I'm going to say that because you know if your mom is worried about like security, she can see who's at the door. That's always nice. And yeah. Yeah, that's. I I
1: I don't disagree with you at all. I was thinking, you know, you mentioned lights. Um, If there's a lot of moms out there who, you know, they like to lie in bed and read or whatnot, I actually don't know that we get a connected light, but I would get a um, maybe a connected switch, like the Insight switch from Remo. Oh. Because you can, you know, that's that reach over for your phone and say shut off and it shuts off. You can schedule it to shut off at 10, 11 o'clock at night whenever you're done reading. If you were super generous and bought an Echo as well as the Wemo Switch, I was going
0: to say add the Echo for a total add the mom Echo, package.
1: And now mom can say shut her down and boom, lights are out.
0: Okay, so I will go for that. Maybe you and your siblings can all get together if you have them. So those are kind of some things that we we thought about from the mom angle that would be kind of nice, connected devices mm-hmm. for your mom. Maybe we'll do it for dad, but, you know, maybe we won't. I'm like, I, I feel like a lot of golf devices coming on so, <laughs> or, or sprinkler care. So stay tuned because our guest this week is actually... Super worth listening to. It's Hans Vestberg, who is the CEO of Ericsson. You may have heard of them. They're a giant communications infrastructure company. And I talked to Hans after the company reported earnings last week, which actually their stock dropped 10% after they reported earnings. Wall Street did not like it. And they announced a restructuring of their business. The reason he's on here, he's going to talk about 5G. He's going to be talking about turning your company into kind of an iot focused company so the digital transformation that a lot of businesses are facing right now Mm -hmm. and a little bit about the the carrier kind of perspective on iot so it's a good interview i enjoyed it so stay tuned Hi, this is Stacy, breaking into the IoT Podcast to tell you two things. The first is that I've launched a weekly newsletter devoted to the Internet of Things that you can sign up for at StacyOnIoT.com. That's S T-A-C-E-Y on IoT.com. The second is that we're now accepting ads on the Internet of Things podcast. We have packages for big companies and startups. So if you are interested, please email Andrew at IoTpodcast.com. And now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Stacey Higginbotham, and you are back listening to the Internet of Things podcast. Today's guest is Ericsson CEO Hans Vestberg. Hello, Hans. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great, but I bet you guys could be doing better. So, Ericsson, actually, when we're recording this, reported earnings, and Wall Street was was not impressed. So I'd love to talk to you because you guys are a great example of a company that saw the internet of things coming and is trying to adapt your business to it. So let's start off with what you saw coming when you saw it and what you guys decided to do about it.
2: Now, I think that we have uh, for quite a long time uh, tried to transform our company to be relevant in the, in sort of the next generation of networks and all of that and I think we We started, of course, having a base business in networks, which still is very important and very fundamental for us, everything from technology services. At the same time, we also started developing IT services uh, because it's needed in digitization. And we also uh, developed sort of cloud and media services because cloud is needed for the next next generation networks and media is the majority of everything in, in networks. So it was a Based on our anchor core business, we have developed adjacent businesses that are, have a, another growth engine and, of course, have a much more software and service inside them. That was sort of the uh, the phase that we started already in 2010, and we sort of reach a level of these areas that we now can put a structure that is supporting that strategic solution even better.
0: Okay. So, judging by your results, this is a difficult transition You're really trying to thread the needle here as your core business of selling network equipment, it's stagnating. It's There's consolidation in the industry, their carriers are buying less stuff, they're transitioning to SDN, which means they're going to require less of your gear. So how are you guys thinking about adding services and how is that going?
2: I think that what we see is uh, what you say, I mean, the network infrastructure uh market is uh, is we I mean, or a little bit growing maybe in US dollar. So, of course, and that has been growing much more before. Networks are more complex today than they've ever been, and we're going into 5G. So, we are, just need to remember that at the same time. And our industry on the network side has gone from 15 competitors, and we're down to three. So, we've also gone through a dramatic transformation in the whole value chain for us. Then, of course, the other areas like IT and cloud and things that like going in there. Then we have another set of competitors, of course, uh, which we're meeting based on our strength from the telecom side. So I think that it's a little bit different in different areas that we're facing this. But if you take the uh, sort of the target the areas, the new areas we're developing. I mean, last year they were growing 20%. Still, they're a smaller portion of the totality and cannot still offset that we have a slower pace in, in, in the network's business and the attached services.
0: Okay. And let's talk about some of the services, because now you've created five new kind of business units, I guess. One on IT, cloud computing, media, network products, and then services. So can you talk about the services side? I'm guessing that's the side that's probably most related to the kind of Internet of Things.
2: Uh, So we have, you can say that we are gearing up our structure for how our customers are moving. We have the network segment uh, where we have both technology and products and services. And uh, then we also have developed uh, sort of a customer group working with other types of customers in other industries using the technology coming from the infrastructure or coming from, I think, cloud. And here we work with transport companies, utilities companies, public safety companies. And now we're gearing up the organization to what setup. set up.
0: How important will those new services be to Ericsson?
2: Uh, so we have an uh, ambition that 20% of our turnovers will come from new type of customers meaning uh, customers that are in transport, utilities, media, cable, uh, even the, the customers that we have on our patent portfolio. That should be 20-25% of our turnover uh, in 2020. So, of course, it's an important uh, sort of decision we have taken, and we're also gearing up our organization for it.
0: Okay. And one of the things that I'd love to ask you about is, I was talking to Verizon a couple months ago, and they told me that network services like the actual providing connectivity is going to be a very small part of their revenue, in kind of the Internet of Things and these new services. So I'm curious how you think your customers, as the carriers, are going to kind of offer these new businesses. Are they going to end up competing
2: with you? I think that first of all, I mean, it's uh, it's a value chain here as well. I mean, uh, you're, you're right. I mean, if you think about, the, let's say, a connected car, I think the connectivity is a smaller piece of the value add. Then you have some service enablement that you need to put together all the services in the connected core. And then you do an application that could be an application that uh, makes your drive more efficient or something like that. And the value chain goes upwards. Basically, the lowest is in connectivity then it goes upwards. And then everybody needs to pick their shoes where they're going to be. Here is some picture, the area where we can get scale, global scale. We can work in over many countries and we can have platforms of software. We are not doing applications specific for a certain segment or something like that. Uh, we think there are better uh, organization doing that. So we do service enablement there. We can orchestrate all the uh, sensors in a car, for example, or we do uh, manage services on a on a utility company, uh, things like that, which is our base business that we go into. We are not going into the ultimate doing, a let's say, a specific application for a for a customer group or something like that.
0: Got it. All right, let's talk about 5G, because everyone keeps throwing that term around, and I've heard it applied to Wi-Fi, to cellular, to even millimeter wave technologies. So tell me what you think of when you hear 5G.
2: So 5G is very different from 2G, 3G, and 4G. I mean, all those technologies was basically designed, developed for consumers. That doesn't say that 5G is not, but 5G has also different thinking that it's not only the radio access, it's actually the whole network, where you need to orchestrate the whole network to deliver a new type of service. Let's say you have one slice of a 5G network that will give the autonomous car a very low latency. Let's say that you have another slice that is delivering, uh, let's say, a very low power radio signal to a sensor that you can only change the battery every 10 years. And so on you can go with different type of slices in the network, did You have different characteristics for a different type of use case, which could be for an industry, could be for consumer, and could be for society. So 5 g is very different from that. And when you talk about technology for the radio, we will embrace all those technologies that that you need and all the frequencies that you need in order to cater for that type of slice in the network.
0: What technologies are you most optimistic about for the Internet of Things? Because right now there's like a dozen different kind of low-power wide-area networks running around out there. Uh, There's millimeter wave stuff from, like, even Facebook and Google are getting in on this, more on delivering actual backhaul and access. But there's a lot going on from players that are not traditional
2: carriers. I think that uh, the most exciting is that uh, the standalone narrowband IoT that's coming out, which is... a very effective way of using 4G for Internet of Things, where you can have uh, high resolutions and, and video compression. And of course, why I'm excited that will scale that can come into any mobile network in the world, which is already have the coverage and already have the, 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 the breadth and the capability of it.
0: Because you guys are over in Europe, and I always feel that Europe is way ahead of the US when it comes to things like smart cities businesses doing smart manufacturing, anything, you know, adding sensors and big radio networks to try to get data out of businesses. Is that true? Do you view Europe still as kind of more advanced than the U.S. on this?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't like to compare like that. But of course, we have seen uh, Northern Europe being advanced on mobility using mobile broadband for society everything from uh, starting with the utilities, networks, smart grids, etc. Uh, but I would also say that uh, given the the investment and development we've seen in North America, U.S. is very well ahead, especially on the connected cars and things like that, and starting to leverage that in smart cities as well. I don't think that anybody has sorted all the things out, but we see, of course, markets like the U.S., uh, the Korea being very early. And the reason is that Korea, US, and Japan was very early on 4G, and then you create the ability to do these type of things, and that goes for Northern Europe as well.
0: Should we worry about spectrum? You know, there's all this talk about needing, you know, more spectrum. There's like the debate over LTEU, which is cellular versus Wi-Fi. There's debate over who gets 5.1 gigahertz for automotive. So how should we be thinking about allocating spectrum globally, and then... Between licensed and unlicensed bands?
2: First of all, I think that all uh, frequencies will be needed, uh, both licensed and unlicensed, and we build our technology so you can actually move data in between them. I think that's going to be important as data is growing and people are getting more connected. Then, of course, there are certain bands that we want to have harmonized in the world because that will make handsets cheaper, uh, devices cheaper, as they, they can be built on the same type of chipset but that we will need to use unlicensed and licensed spectrum and all of that and actually send the data bits over that highway in the most efficient way in the future. That's clear. That's how we build our networks today.
0: When we talk about slicing, kind of slicing and dicing wireless networks for connected cars, which needs, you know, different application kind of level, service levels, so that versus a voice call versus, you know, delivering data from a sensor out in the middle of a field, once a day. Do you think this risks getting kind of the network neutrality debate started up again?
2: I hope not, because it will benefit our society to be more efficient and then different characteristics need to be given to different type of use cases. However, I mean, that everybody should have access to internet and good speed, then that, that's given to me. But here we're talking about different characteristics that, that need to be given to different type of use cases in order to gain efficiency in our society so we actually gain efficiency. I mean, we need a sustainable development in the world right now. And if we cannot use technology for doing that, then it's going to be really hard.
0: So in talking to Wall Street about this transition, it feels like you guys have been looking forward for a long time. And maybe it's you're trying to prep and do something that's a long-term plan. Does Wall Street understand? Are you able to communicate, or how do you communicate this to Wall Street?
2: We try to, of course, to to communicate how we're investing and where we're going. So um, I mean, I hope that you are following us, and I think that with the new structure that we're launching today, we're going to be even more transparent how we report and the way we have been now defining our our, our businesses. So I think we're trying all the time to be transparent and see that you can follow the investment we're doing and uh, and becoming relevant in this digitalized world
0: so what would your advice be to other executives who are in the middle of a digital transformation of their business you know because technology is changing things so fast how do you think they should be do you have any advice for how they should communicate to shareholders even to customers
2: i'm not sure i have any any good advice but i think that again you need to to define where you want to be and then you need to see that you're going to have different engines in the company and you need to cater for that. And, and of course, uh, thinking that digitalization is very important. And then you also need to understand that you, you will cannibalize on certain things that you have in your sort of core areas when you move, move forward, like the virtualization, things like that. So I think that's what we are going through and what we're working with every day here.
0: And you guys actually over the last like three years or so have actually, you've let it a bunch of jobs go. You've actually brought in a bunch of people with new skills, and I think that's actually a really good example of kind of like how you're having to adapt. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, if you just give the numbers, I mean, last year we we recruited fourteen thousand people, and we we let go of seventeen thousand on the work, uh, on the on the base of one hundred fifteen thousand employees. Of course. It is a very big transformation to have the right competence in the right market when you are moving into new areas. And, and if you take uh, for, if, if you just take it for 20, uh, for two years and or eight quarters, you basically double it. I mean, it's uh, roughly 34,000 people that come in and 32,000 people that have left off, but it's ties transformation in order to continue to be relevant. And, and that's part of what you need to do every day. At the same time, you're creating new services and new products so it, it, it puts a lot of uh, challenges to the organization
0: awesome all right well i wish you guys good luck and thank you so much for talking to me today
2: thank you very much bye
0: that's all we have for you this week but join us next week on the internet of things podcast thanks for listening